You're listening to Ask Dr. E, where Dr. Michael Easley answers your biblical and theological questions in 10 minutes or less, or sometimes more like this episode. Here's today's question. I have a friend that's had what they thought was dementia, and it's turned out that it's Alzheimer's. And his concern is, is that he, all the things he's read and heard, he's afraid of what his family will go through watching him deteriorate and the fact that he won't know anybody. Uh, that's one piece of it. The second piece of it is, is financially it would drain them. Um, and so he is wanting to uh, convince his wife to move to a different state that allows assisted suicide. I guess I'd like to have your opinion on how biblically I could talk to him. The best way I can answer this is to go to my friend Johnny Erickson Tata, and I printed off uh, earlier three articles that she has published. One is an excerpt from one of her books, but um, let me start with this one. She calls it, Why Suicide is Everybody's Business. Uh, this was posted in Christianity Today, March 14, 2018, so it's a little uh, about a year old. Each year, more than 44,000 people die by suicide in the United States. It's estimated that 25 times that number attempt suicide every year. She continues, in 2015, uh, there were people who died under the Death with Dignity Acts, like in states of Oregon, 301 people in 2015 alone, Oregon and Washington. Uh, The vast majority of suicides of elderly or terminally ill people or those with disabilities occur quietly in homes and institutions far from the media, the courts, or the public eye. They're hurting, despondent people who never make the news and only rarely appear on your Facebook feed, she writes. They live with quiet desperation. The woman with cancer seesawing in and out of remission. The young boy in a semi-comatose condition, making eye contact, half-smiling, drifting away. The carpenter who broke his neck, falling from a second-story window, now abandoned by his wife who lives in a nursing home. And she goes on to explain that she also lived in a, she calls it a space of despondence during the first few years after her diving accident. She relates a story when Ken, her husband, taught high school government that uh, she came to one of his classes and was invited to speak on legalizing euthanasia. This was before California had legalized medically-assisted death. And uh, some of the Q&A between the kids was fascinating. She talks about being so surprised how interested they were, not only in her story with her early days of despair, but then was it okay to have a right-to-die law? A few hands went up. I could tell by their answers they felt society should take action to help hurting and dying people. Some students insisted on life no matter how burdensome the treatment, and a few wanted to help by hurrying up the death process. One student shared how his mother was getting demoralized by the burden of taking care of his sister with developmental delays. He felt society should, in his words, do something. Like what, I challenged. Like, I'm not sure, but society ought to get more involved in the people's lives like my mother's. I glanced at Ken. He nodded as if to give me a go-ahead <laughs> to take free reign with this young man. May I ask, what have you done to get more involved? <laughs> Ouch. The student smiled and shrugged. How have you helped alleviate the burden? 
Have you taken your sister on an outing lately? Maybe to the beach, I teased. Have you offered to do some shopping for your mother? Maybe your mom wouldn't be so demoralized. (laughs) Maybe she wouldn't feel so stressed or burdened if you'd roll up your sleeves a little higher to help. (laughs) A couple of his friends by the chalkboard laughed and threw wads of paper at him. (laughs) Okay, okay, I see your point, he said. I smiled. My point is this. Society is not a bunch of people way out there who sit around big tables and think up political trends or cultural drifts. Society is you. What you do or don't do has a ripple effect on everyone around you. On a small scale, you can make a big difference in the families that you decide to help. I paused. I scanned the face of the students and closed saying, you friends are society. Years later, she writes, I still hold to this fundamental truth that the sick and the well are inextricably connected in community. Those on the margins, the depressed, the ill, the dying need us. But the converse is true. We need them too. And on she writes, and I would I would just encourage you to just get on your search engine and look up Johnny Erickson Tata and the words assisted suicide, and you will find a number of great pieces. One is a chapter from one of her books. I won't take the time to read portions of it, but she refers to the movie. Um, did you see the movie Me Before You? I didn't. Very popular film. I guess it came out what, about three years ago. Yeah. And a guy is uh, disabled in a wheelchair and they hire a young girl to come uh, cheer him up. Yeah. And they fall in love, of yep. course. Um, don't think it'll ruin the story, but you know it becomes a, a assisted death story. She writes in this one section, California, Oregon, Washington, Vermont, and Montana have all uh, legalized assisted suicide for the terminally ill. 18 states and the District of Columbia are considering it as well. Uh, she goes on to express there's, there's got to be virtue in suffering. We have to see this as an opportunity mm-hmm. for character, for Christ-likeness. There's purpose and meaning here. And so the, the short answer is I, I don't see a time or a way we aren't a horse or a dog that has to be put down because we're sick and disabled. We are made in the image of God. And because of that, as hard as it may be, I just don't think it's up to man to decide when it's time to help somebody die uh, because it's inconvenient or there's a disability or it's expensive. Uh, These are men and women that are image bearers of God and it's not our place to uh, pull that plug or hurry up a person. Uh, who otherwise might live and suffer for a long time. Mm. It's so hard because it feels merciful. You know, if that if that person just really wants to go home, they know the Lord, like, I'm ready to die, let's do this. If assisted suicide feels merciful, but going back to what you said, the the Lord determines our days. They're numbered. He He's the only one that is supposed to call someone home. And, and the challenges of medical technology and progress, um, you know, many of us are living a lot longer than we would have lived even 10, 20 years ago. Sure. And so then it becomes a, a medically, uh, an ethical decision that, you know, Christian medical ethicists write about extensively about when is it right. And there are times when a person, it, you know, you let them die. Um, you have to decide whether you do not intubate, you do right. not resuscitate, these types of things. My my mom, who passed away uh, not long ago, uh, she's wanted to die for the past eight years. Yeah, yeah. And at some level, I understand that. 
but she was not going to hasten her death. Right. Her, her question was why I have no purpose mm-hmm. and I grieve for people that are there. I don't know that I won't be there one day, mm-hmm. but at the, at the grander scale of things, uh, who are we to say that uh, again, I love Johnny's comment about with the inextricably linked, those of us who care for people that are disabled and the disabled. I went to see a man who's dying of prostate cancer a few days ago and he's in a hospital bed in his home right now. I love going to see him. I don't mind at all. His mental faculties are a little bit frayed. He he, he loses his thread a little bit. Um, he's not in pain because they're medicating him. Uh, he he can get up. He can move around, but he is confined to bed for the most part. But uh, I would miss seeing him. Mm-hmm. And I know he has a litany of, of people that come and support him and his wife and help her. And he is not with us long. And, uh, you know... I don't want to call it death with dignity, but because that sounds trite. Yeah. But I think that's what the Christian community is about. You sit with a friend, you read a, a psalm, you share some things, you talk about what he's doing with his day. And he actually stays very busy, even though he's very sick, yeah. he's limited, he is dying. His days are very short. And, um, you know, I wouldn't, wouldn't overstate the case, but that's a ministry. Yeah. To go spend time. And what? How hard is that to go spend time with a friend who might be suffering? Mm-hmm. Take a person who's in assisted living and put them in a wheelchair and take them outside. Yep. As Johnny said, if you take her to the beach, you know, yeah. put their yeah. toes in the sand, take them to the park. That'll make their week. Yeah. Um, and, and I just think we we miss the profound sanctity of life as we get older or even a person that's a quadriplegic or paraplegic. There's there's a dignity because that man or woman is the image bearer of God. Mm-hmm. And whose right is it to say, no, Yeah, uh, take a shot and go to sleep and never wake up? Yeah. I often think, you know, we did a series a while ago now called What Now? And it was four parts and we used Howard Hendricks teaching and then we had some interviews. But in one of um, Prof's messages, he basically says, if you haven't died yet, God has a purpose for you to still be here. And, you know, thinking about your friend, um, he's, he's suffering, he's dying. Um, but God could have chosen to take him yesterday and he didn't. Mm -hmm. So, so for whatever that looks like, obviously his purpose in his day is different than my purpose as a, you know, young mom, (laughs) like we have very Mm -hmm. different days. Um, but God still has purpose for his life. And I think the more we can hang on to that, yeah, if, if you're still on this planet, God has a reason for you to be here. And an uh, eighty-nine, no, ninety, ninety-one-year-old person I know says, "All I can do is pray, and I pray all day long for people." Mm. And you've heard me say this before because you've grown up listening to me preach. Uh, I think a lot of us are sustained by silver-haired ladies totally. who pray totally. and who are widows now, yeah. not not condescending at all. But I mean, it's it's the crown of glory. These women who maybe can't do what they used to, but boy, they are fervent and effectual in their prayer life. And the fabric of the Christian community, we're going to get to heaven and go, you know, I wouldn't have done anything if those people... Yeah, totally. (laughs) God would have never used me if those people hadn't been praying for me. So just pray. All I can do is pray. What a terrible statement. You know, I get to pray. I have the privilege to pray. It's an honor to pray. So maybe God takes the props of our health away. Yeah. So we read a little more carefully. We're devoted to him. We, we spend more time in prayer. Uh, you, we have family friends that are in their 90s, and um, he's a physician, brilliant guy. He's always been an elder mentor friend to me. 
And the last time I saw him, he said, you know, my wife and I, we read a book together every day. We only read five pages, though. Uh-huh. Now, this is a, they're both voracious readers. Sure. We just read five pages, and we can do it in about 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. I said, how did you get to that? He goes, arguing. <laughs> 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 but but they're doing that together, yeah. and they're praying for their kids and their grandkids. What a sweet, powerful testimony yeah. to get up in the morning, have your coffee, read five pages. Besides their, their devotions, this is what yeah. they do together. Yeah. Well, that's, that's an incredible uh, piece of encouragement. You would not have learned that when you were 30. Right, right. You wouldn't see any value in it. So, um, yeah, so in, in the prof, I mean, that was his line. If, you're, if you were never more ready for heaven than the day you were saved, then why are you still here? If you've got a question for Ask Dr. E, call us or text us at 615-281-9694. Or you can email us at question at michaelincontext.com. We would love to hear from you. Ask Dr. E is a production of Michael Easley in Context. The music for this show is composed by Jason Germain, and you can find more biblical resources at michaelincontext.com.